Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. Hey, Jeremy. You know, I was talking with one of my clients the other day, and they're implementing a reserves management system, and they told me it's going to take them six to nine months to get it installed. Six to nine months? I don't get it. What's the reason why the implementation would take that long? You know, I really don't know. I mean, it, it just seems like if you're buying a finished product, doesn't need a ton of customization, it really shouldn't take that long before you can actually use it. I mean, it's not like SAP. Yeah, it's definitely not an SAP type system. Um, you know, in fact, I just talked to a couple of good friends who were experienced in implementing reserves management systems, and they just released their first product called PDQ Decide. PDQ Decide. What is that? I have not heard of it before. Yeah, PDQ Decide is intended to be the first off-the-shelf product for end-to-end reserves and planning. It plugs directly into Aries and PHDWIN from basically the first hour with no code. So you basically, you're up and running in the first day you sign a contract. Oh, nice. Sounds disruptive, eh? Yeah, I think it's a game changer, especially for mid-market oil and gas companies. All right. Well, where can I find more information about these wizards? Well, their website is uh, www.pdqdecide.com. All right, I'm going to type this in, www.pdqdecide.com. Sharp website. Oh, they've got pricing listed on here. That's cool. Yeah, you don't see that very often. No, you definitely don't, but I love it. It looks tech, the tech looks sharp, uh, transparent with pricing, low cost. Everybody should give these guys a look. Timbo, have I, (laughs) did I tell you the story about going to a New York Mets game? uh, My senior year of high school class trip? No, no, this is a new one. Oh man. So, you know, country bumpkins. I'm not a total country bumpkin. I kind of am. I mean, what can you say? I, I don't know. But we decide Plymouth High School, New Hampshire, middle of nowhere, and decide, all right, the class voted for our senior year class trip. We're going to go to the big city. We're going to New York City. And they gave us an option for either a day game baseball game, which was the Mets against the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, or you could do like a matinee of a show. Like oh, at that point, I'm got to like, be a baseball obviously, game, right? Obviously, all the all you know, most of the girls went to the matinee. All the dudes went to the baseball game. So we're sitting there. You know, it's it's not an, an overly exciting game. And I think like the seventh or eighth inning comes around, and there's like kind of a camera nearby, and there's a bunch of rustling going on behind us, and it's like, oh, this guy right here is going to propose to this woman. Look at that. How exciting is that? The guy gets on his knee and he proposes and I go, wait a second. I think I know that guy. Aaron, Aaron, is that, is that the trainer that was fired from our high school two years ago for having illicit relationships with sophomores? Oh no. Yeah. And you know what? It was the guy it was, who fired him. It was him. The guy nice. who fired him was the one in charge of watching us for the class trip. He was one of the advisors. So as this guy's getting on his knee, right, to propose on the big screen, right, the cameras are right there. It happens to be in our row, and he looks up at us, and you should have seen how pale and white this guy turned, man. It's like, oh my god. Now, what <laughs> would be really scary is if. As if the uh, the uh, fiance the new fiance was uh, one of your old classmates or something. 
Oh, no, I, I think it may have been like uh, not so legal, perhaps. Yeah. But um, nonetheless, here this guy thinks he's he's moved on, right? He's no longer in the middle of nowhere. He's, he's in his new place in some random mid-June baseball game with the Mets. And sure enough, he's in the same section as us. Man, I'm wondering well, how you're going to segue into this guest. How are you going to make a segue? Why? I don't know how. I don't think Deanna Duell has any um, illicit relationships like that in her past. However, she is kind of from the middle of nowhere. Isn't that right, Deanna? I guess you could say I'm from somewhere. I, I wouldn't say the middle of nowhere. Uh, Southern Colorado, Pueblo isn't necessarily nowhere. Well, that's it's no little town, right. Jeremy. That's no little town. Fine. fine. It's off I-25. That's true. It's uh, it floods a lot too. I think, if I recall, it has um, had its times flood. So, so Pueblo, Pueblo. I wanted to talk to you about this because when you and I went out to lunch, when that was still a thing that could be done, and we talked about, so like, what do people do in um, you know that are from Pueblo that don't go into accounting? And your response was meth. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, I'm sure not everybody, but <laughs> it's it's been known for for that. Wow. So tell tell well, tell us your path then. You somehow avoided the uh, meth track and managed to get into <laughs> oil and gas accounting. So I tell did. us about your your path growing up in Pueblo, going to college, and eventually you and I crossing paths in um, the Denver oil and gas accounting community. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for having me on your show, Jeremy. And we really did end up going to lunch post-COVID. It was an outdoor um, restaurant, if I recall, and it was Mexican. So that's definitely a lot of uh, Mexican restaurants in Pueblo, where I come from. And very good ones, too, at that. And anyhow, in Pueblo, I kind of grew up just kind of a small town. It was a good place for for families to raise their kids. And I guess I did pretty well for myself considering. Um, I just recall from an accounting perspective, why did I get into accounting? And I remember taking an aptitude test back in middle school-ish time just to find out what am I good at. And that was one of the things that came up on the test. So that's what set my sights on the accounting arena. Not only that, we had a lot of good math teachers and science teachers there. So it was, we were fortunate in that regard as well. For being a less funded type of area of Colorado, we were really fortunate in our education, mainly because of the teachers. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And That's cool. So. Yeah. Staying with Pueblo, I want to just, I want to segue into this, but. One of my favorite family vacations that we took, we took a driving trip from from Houston out to California, but we went and spent three or four days in Canyon City, Colorado, which is just, you know, up the yeah. highway from Pueblo, if I remember right. Was that a common thing for you guys to go up to Canyon City and sit in the Arkansas River, do anything of that kind of stuff? Well, we did go up to the, up the Arkansas River once in a while. I remember taking my dad there for... Uh, Father's Day one year with my sister, but we were in college and we thought it would be a lot of fun. Well, come to find out my dad hated rivers and he was <laughs> scared to death of getting caught under a branch. So he didn't attend that rafting trip that we coordinated. But 
over the years, we would drive through there a lot going to Monarch. That was the big ski resort that was closest Mm. to us. And just remember the, you know, just kind of passing by. We, we didn't stop there very often. Mm. So not a big destination for, uh, for the Puebloans. You know, Deanna, very, very accomplished. We'll, we'll get into what she's doing at BKD and, and some of her past, um, both doing some consulting, um, some Moss Adams, working uh, in accounting groups at oil and gas companies. But she's a beast. So is her sister. Like your sister's like a big time executive at some company, right? She's a hotshot. Yeah, she is. She's at Gore Technologies. She's in uh, Flagstaff, Arizona. And she's a chemical engineer was her grad, what she graduated out of Boulder with. Um, She somewhat corrupted me as a freshman and actually eighth (laughs) grader. Um, So one of the things with Pueblo, there's not a lot of fun things to do. And when your sister is, you know, five years ahead of you in grades, I had the opportunity to go up there on a bus. And the first time I went up to Boulder, it was, you know, church type events and, you know, very low key. And then the next time I went up, I told her that I had gone partying with my older brother and man, it was like <laughs> night and day <laughs> visiting Boulder the second time. Oh, indeed. <laughs> so, indeed. Yeah. <sighs> it's going to be my daughter someday. It, yeah. Good times. So anyway, since my freshman year was kind of botched with the corruption, my sophomore, junior, senior years, I really had to buckle down because I really wanted to go to college after having so much fun, you know, visiting (laughs) her. (laughs) I was like, I better get my grades up. Not going to be able to go. So. And that led you to, you led you to see you as well. It did. It led me to see you. And that's, you know, from there I worked to think I wanted to be an engineer because of the math and my sister, um, because she was an engineer, I thought, well, geez, I could do that, right? Well, it wasn't quite so simple. And after my freshman year, I decided, yeah, I'll stay on the business path and work towards the business degree and accounting degree, as I originally anticipated. But it was really, you know, chemistry or calculus was okay. But when it came to applied math and science, that was where I didn't really, um, do quite as well. So you and me both sister. You and me both. <laughs> Tim's good with that stuff though. Reservoir uh, engineer by trade. Uh, yeah. Used to be, used to be no longer yeah. practicing. Nice. Nice. And then I had the opportunity to room with a lady that went to semesters or, you know, was getting ready to go to semester at sea. She did semester at sea and we got a, you know, temporary roommate to take her, lease on for the, you know, semester that she was gone. And she really encouraged me to, to go as well as my sister, because my sister indicated, Hey, you know, when else are you going to get to go around the world? Yeah, yeah. Super cool. So I saw this in your, in your profile. And then of course you mentioned it in our pre pre-show notes, but the semester at sea had to be amazing. How, where all did you go? We went to 10 different countries, started in the Bahamas, went to South America, um, to South Africa, to the um, Asia, and then back around to Seattle. So, On the same ship the whole time, or did you, was yes. it a, wow. 
So it was my first time out of the country too. Wow. And you hit a whole bunch of spots, a whole bunch of Mm -hmm. continents, really. Did did you like get off the boat for weeks at a time and and get to travel around? Like, what was that like? Was the learning all on the boat or was it a combination? It was both. It was a combo. We had A days and B days while we were on the ship going between countries. And we typically had a student or a few students that would fly out to the previous country, attend with us as we made our way to the next country to kind of give us some, uh, you know, practical and relatable experience for their, their country so that we were a little bit prepared and learning about their culture and what we were going to expect at the next port. So it was interesting. And I, I enjoyed it because I'm an experiential learner and I had never been out of the country before. So a girl from Pueblo, you know, first time getting out, that was quite a, a change in perspective for sure. Yeah. Valuable for sure. Mm-hmm. Were there actual studies? I mean, I'm, yeah, obviously you're getting some <laughs> sort of credit, but I'm, I'm curious of what is the, what is the actual studying other than just being an experience? What, what, well, you came out of there with a, I a did. credit for some class? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I saved all my election credits to go to semester at sea, my elector you know, so I took all my, most of my business classes when I was at CU, but this, these were electives that I took and one, I got to take choir, which was like a credit and that was fun. <laughs> Learn how to sing songs from different countries and yeah. actually perform in those countries. Um, also, so this is a part of my college, college that I missed. I, I, I should have done something like this, man. I yeah. messed up, man. My, my junior year, like, I feel like I said this on this podcast. I mean, Tim, we've put out a lot of content at this point. I have to remember like what stories I've told and what I haven't, but junior year, a lot of my friends went to the same, uh, abroad program in London. It was like really common for Brandeis kids to do this and like good friends of mine. And I, like, I had the application, it was like sitting there in my car and I had to make a decision. And of course, like Goodwill hunting style, I chose the girl that I was dating who was going to be in school <laughs> as opposed to going over there. And then she dumped me anyway. And it's like, what was I thinking? <laughs> but everybody came back and they had fun. And one of the things that at that time, that would have been around 2001, 2000, 2001, was everybody came back and was text messaging. That wasn't a thing yet over here. Texting didn't become a thing until, mm-hmm. I don't know, 2000 five or later even in the US, but everybody would text and like Mm. they'd start texting. I'm like, dude, stop doing that. It's costing me like 10 cents each time (laughs) to receive it. So I'll just call (laughs) you back. And now it's like, obviously that changed, but yeah, uh, that's where India was a lot. India was a lot further ahead of us when it came to, um, that was 1996 when I did this semester at sea and they brought cell phones onto our ship so that we can make phone calls. So yeah, they were a little bit ahead of us in terms of technology. That's cool. Mm -hmm. That's neat. Um, So you and I first crossed paths, Deanna, I want to say, probably at when you were at St. Mary, right, which eventually became SM Energy in Denver. And and you were Mm -hmm. pretty active in the in the COPUS group. Uh, Ironically, now I am a chair for the COPUS technology uh, committee here and, and put together some really uh, entertaining speakers, um, including one next week, which should be fun. Barry Barksdale oh. from PD- oh. PDS is going to come on and talk about data. Friend of the show. 
Yeah. Nice. So um, it's it's super fun. And that was one that I always went to. You seem like you took a pretty active role in, in uh, Copus from the start. You want to tell the listeners what Copus is and, and kind of give some insight into what you've done with it? Sure. I, I ran across the path of Copus when I was really new to my career. I was working for a family-owned company, of all things, and they had a lot of different interests in different businesses, different industries. And the first industry I went into was actually uh, Arby's. They, they had the franchisee of Arby's restaurants. So that's where I started. And then about four months later, then I went into their oil and gas company. And the bookkeeper at the time, you know, just basically told me, do this, do that. And I'm like, well, shouldn't I know a little bit about the industry if I'm really going to account for things properly? Sure, and sure. Google was kind of new at the time. So I Googled <laughs> and I found Copus because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, like oil and gas accounting. <laughs> How do I learn more? <laughs> probably still comes up pretty high. <laughs> it does, I'm sure. And I just started attending the uh, luncheons that they had down there in Denver. And at the time, um, you didn't have Google Maps. You had to kind of do a map quest and print it out and get yourself there. And I worked in Golden, Colorado. So I always called whoever was hosting the meeting and was like, okay, what are the crossroads? Where do I need to park? What's the best way to get, you know, (laughs) into your building? So it was a lot more uh, onerous to get from point A to point B. But I learned about it there and I just attended a lot of the events and I just started learning, you know, just by attending and and learned and applied and, you know, it just kind of progressed over the years. So Copus, I, I felt they had a really diverse group of presenters. You know, they talked about geology, they talked about reserves, they talked about, you know, not just accounting. So you got some of the lingo down, but you know, one of the funny things that happened early in my career was there was a, a fact. This was back in the day of faxes, by the way. We got a fax that came by and it said the pig got stuck in the pipe, you know. And I was like, <laughs> what the? I'm like thinking, yeah, I remember this. picturing this like pot belly pig, you know, with its le- hind legs like fading out. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I got to tell my bot, you know, my, my president of the company. And what's he, you know, I'm like, I can't believe this happened. So I go in there and I'm like, Alan, this is crazy. Can you imagine this pig is stuck in a pipe and it's costing us (laughs) this much money? Have you ever heard of this before? (laughs) And he just laughed. He just laughed. He didn't really say anything. He was a pretty humble guy and he didn't like make me feel bad or anything. But then later on, I kind of learned more about the pigging and pipes. (laughs) So. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do the uh, education of Yeah, what is it? What is here. it, Tim? Tell us. <laughs> so, well, I'm going to start off with my first pig story actually. Oh, okay. So, we had just my first first summer internship in the Valley of Texas. It's 195 degrees pretty much every day down there and we we had just finished connecting a pipe from uh, a new well to the facility we're taking it to. And so the first thing you need to do, you fill it with water, check for leaks, and then the next thing was, well, now you need to get the water out. So they stuck a pig is a bullet looking device that you stick in one end and you pressure up on the backside and it just goes through the pipe and either removes the liquid that's in there or takes measurements on the way. So anyway, the, the, uh, roustabouts that I was working with, uh, thought it would be funny to try to have me 
race the pig from one end of the pipe <laughs> to the other. So that was that was my initiation. Awesome. So in my steel toe boots, I'm racing the pig, you know, a half mile, you know, to the rig because we were going backwards through it. But anyway, that's basically a pig. But you know, we're notorious in this industry for naming things with some crazy thing. Someone comes from the outside. They it just makes no sense to call it a pig, but there it is. Oh, and and all the acronyms, everything. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, Tim, that's a uh, that's funny. I mean, that was probably just after they gave you the keys to unlock the V door, right? Yeah, I'd already been warned about unlocking the V door, so I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome. So uh, you've been in a number of different roles since. Uh, I've known you, you were, you were on the accounting side and then you moved to um, consulting prior to us kind of touching base again um, at, at an intercom golf event. But, but tell me a little bit about you breaking into consulting. Was it um, sort of on your own or were you with companies? How did it, how did it start? So the sequence, Jeremy, I actually did consulting before I met you as well. Um, Or I might've met you around my consulting days before my SM days. I'm not sure. Possible. That's possible. Anyhow, in the consulting arena, I started out uh, just wanting to diversify my experience throughout the industry. So I wanted to learn some downstream side of the business. And my first client was uh, the refinery down there in uh, Commerce City and got a chance to, you know, work on the finance team with the with the downstream side of the business. And that was helping to round out my experience. So I had had upstream and then I had to add midstream and that was the downstream side. So yeah, so it's pretty diverse. And the consulting side I I like because you really get into projects that challenge you and you have the opportunity to not only bring your experience, but also just kind of bring in a fresh perspective because you're not the in-house person and you've got to perhaps some more time and more networking connections to really help make a difference for what the company's trying to achieve. So. And so now you're with BKD I, the, to get the right acronym yep. there. Now that we're That's talking about acronyms. Um, huge. Are you doing, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a big organization. Are you now kind of exclusively focusing on oil and gas, whether it be upstream, downstream, or are you uh, any industry? You know, I get an opportunity at BKD to to even spread my wings further and look at other industries. Of course, I bring a um, pretty deep experience with oil and gas to the table. So, you know, I also, again, have a different perspective. But oil and gas, the in, oil and gas industry itself, I've I've done a number of engagements there with BKD and we have a pretty vast energy group that deals with, you know, A&D acquisitions, um, the forensic side, which I've gotten to do some work in that area and enterprise risk management. So there's, there's a lot going on at BKD and they also have a big data analytics group and they employ AI on their forensics, which is kind of interesting how that all works, but there's a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's it's too bad, I think, because you and I have aligned really well going to networking events, finding business opportunities for each other's um, companies and aligning. And I think that we've both been kind of hurt by COVID because both of us are, are very social and I think have built our networks um, via being out, right? Lunches, mm-hmm. COPAS events, uh, happy hours, dinners, conferences, you name it. 
Um, and I think that's, that's a bummer. I think you and I both started our, our newish jobs at the same time. Uh, and mm-hmm. then immediately got slapped with, you know, now you can't go out and meet people, but I'll say this BKD threw a, uh, NAPE party in 2020 before everything got shut down. And I don't know where that place was, but dude, <laughs> the food that you, that that place had was unreal. Remember that? The uh-huh. food was so good there. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Blast. We're, we're planning on going back to Nape if they have it in person again. So that's the plan. August, right? Isn't August mm-hmm. the, the like, it's not going to be full blown, but they're doing something. So is it right. the reconstitution of the summer Nape that they used to have, or is it just the regular it's, Nape? It's regular Nape. It's just going to be a scaled down version. Like I probably won't go from being up here, but you know, we've got mm. representation in, in Houston, um, uh, Houston in August. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Tim, you made yep. us go down to Houston in August once for some sales meetings. I'm like, thanks, huh, Tim. That's, you really that's where I am. That. <laughs> you're coming to me. Yeah. Although you're always good about wanting to come to uh, Colorado. So I know you like it up here. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, Deanna, I, I want to ask you a question because uh, you, you really did a good job answering some of our uh, pre-podcast uh, questions here. Uh-huh. But this this joke has come up before, but tell us a little bit about oh, some yeah. funny sales presentations that you've witnessed <laughs> right. and things that were said that may have hurt the vendor in the process. Oh, sure. Yeah. I just remember because I was on the management team at SM Energy and we had um, a number of different, you know, consultants and sales reps, because those were the, the kind of heydays, if you remember, um, 2013, or no, it was 2010, 2010 to 2013. So 2010, yeah. I think, is when they changed their name to SM Energy. They used to be St. Mary Land and Exploration. And we'd get consultants in there, and we're, we're kind of on a growth path, growth mode. And the one consultant I remember, and I couldn't tell you where they were from or what it was we were dealing with, but I just kept you know, he just kept saying S and M and we'd all kind of look at him like, um, no S M. <laughs> so we're here. We are a pretty conservative company, you know, pretty conservative group of accountants. And, you know, this guy keeps saying that and we're just like, okay, that's not such a flattering picture in our minds. Perfect. You might want to get the name right. It's, it's not an uncommon problem. I mean, no. when they change names from St. Mary's to SM, it, you, know, the, uh-huh. you know, it just seems to roll off the tongue easy to say that. Uh, it's not M&M. <laughs> there, was, there was, a, uh, there was a, an ampersand mm-hmm. in St. Mary Land, Land and ampersand. L-E. Right. So, <laughs> right. So people are like, oh, all right. Well, there was an ampersand. Now you got the SM. It's, let's go with SM. You can't lose the ampersand, can you? <laughs> no, I, see the, I see the connection people made. I, I, I guess. see. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, I've got an interesting story kind of related. My wife used to work at the placement center uh, at Texas A&M, and she would have kids that were coming up to go to interviews with the with the uh, companies that were coming to interview students. Mm-hmm. And she would routinely have to correct correct their pronunciation of Schlumberger mm-hmm. and Coke Industries because they would always come in and say, I've got an interview with Koch or with Schlumberger. Mm-hmm. She would have to always, <laughs> before you go into the interview, <laughs> yeah, perhaps you better know how to say their name. <laughs> I mean, the, the Schlumberger's pretty common. Mm-hmm. You know? When you go to lunch, Tim, you don't get a hamburger. <laughs> that's, that's right. 
I, I want to talk about the the changes in oil and gas and, and that, that you think are upcoming in the next five to 10 years. And, and I want to preface this with my financial advisor sent me a text message early this morning and he goes, dude, you got to think about getting out of oil and gas. And I said, why? Mm-hmm. And he sent me a link from GM. GM today or yesterday announced by 2035, all electric vehicles. It's like, what? Wow. So, I mean, it makes it real, right? I mean, it's it, it really seems like, especially with Biden coming into the office, right? The federal land permit suspension for 60 days. And now somebody, GM, who's just sort of a, a classic car company, now saying they're going to make this switch. And that's only 14 years from now. So I don't know. It, it seems top of mind. I talk about it with a lot of you know prospective clients. I'm curious to get your take on what changes you think are coming outside of, you know, the, the electric vehicle movement? Oh, sure. Yeah. Oil and gas isn't going away. I could tell you that. Nah, <laughs> there's nah, there's no way. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the thought process of, you know, everything being electric, hey, that's all good and well, but you got to look at the rare earth minerals involved in that process. You've got to look at all of the other devastating effects of, you know, going completely electric, um, if that's even a probability, uh, it sounds like, you know, you can get some fleets going that way, but to talk about yeah. the combustion engine, I mean, what's the most Im- effective fuel when it comes to that? And that's oil. Um, we'll see, I guess, in terms of, of transportation and, you know, where our country goes <laughs> from here or the yeah. world. But anyhow, I, I, I know that from a manufacturing standpoint, you're going to always need that hydrocarbon component to really effectively manufacture. Yeah, so, so Jeremy, I saw that article oh, yeah. too. And just to, I'm going to do the, uh, you know, small correction concept, but it did say zero emission vehicles. Oh, so okay. I, okay. I think one of the things they're going to be coming up with is going to be there's going to be a move towards hydrogen that could be interesting. So there's going to be a sources of hydrogen that might come from methane gas where they convert it to cool. hydrogen or potentially from breaking it from water. So it'd be interesting because there, there will be someone will very soon will have hydrogen internal combustion engines, which would be kind of mm-hmm. interesting to see how that goes. Mm. And there's something like uh 6,400 uh, fuel cell or hydrogen fuel cell cars in uh, Southern California. Interesting. Yeah. What, what brand? What brand? Uh, well, there's a, I believe there's a Toyota, a Honda, and I, there's a third one. I can't remember Hyundai or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's starting, right. And I, mm-hmm. I think California said they were going to take measures to, to go in this direction, but you know, I tend to agree the the science doesn't totally, uh, back up the elimination of, mm-hmm. of hydrocarbons and fossil fuels. In fact, I was talking to an IT lead uh, just the other day who's, who's pretty well educated. She was saying um, the amount of natural gas that one of their wells emits is like the equivalent of like uh, like, like four cows over the course of a certain period of time. Like it, it's not as not much, much as you mm-hmm. think. So it, it's, you know, part of it. And we talk about this ad nauseum. It's just the, the industry should do a better job of, of defending itself and just making the facts and the science known. Um, but it, it seems like it doesn't matter that we're heading in this direction and sort of is what it yeah, is. Yeah. And I think some of it's psychological. Um, I, I, I attended a webinar the other day with CU. Um, it was by Phil, Phil um, Fernop. Anyway, he wrote a book called The Knowledge Illusion. 
a lot of people really believe that they know things, but they don't really know. Um, so what we think we know isn't actually what we know. So that is something to be very aware of. And I think that book, The Knowledge Illusion, really puts it into perspective. One mm. of the examples he used was a toilet. You know, it was like the the toilet example had to do with, you know, the parts of a toilet and letting everybody think that they know everything about a toilet because you've used one all your life, right? So you should know all the components and this and that. And so they, they have people draw a picture and then they show what really the picture looks like. And it's a pretty big, <laughs> nice. pretty big gap there. Yeah. So <laughs> there's some interesting psychology around that. So I just oh, that's... implore people to learn more about, um, you know, the reality of, of the situation and not just uh, go with your gut, which is what we think. And we do think we know a lot as, as people and we don't really. So that's my yeah. opinion. Most people's memories are are incorrect too. It, ironically, <laughs> um, what what is the phrase again? What we think we know. Can you say it again? What we think we know and what we actually know. Yeah. So, so I like to apply this on a on a greater scale as well. I have some friends that think they know that Tom Brady's not the greatest quarterback of all time. What we actually know <laughs> is he is for sure, undoubtedly the greatest, and not just the greatest quarterback, the greatest football player, and perhaps the greatest team sport athlete of all time. And I hope he gets number seven by the time everybody's listening to this. Go Tom. <laughs> you have yeah, so we're recording this. It up. <laughs> we're recording this episode on January 29th before we know if Jeremy's prognostication is going <laughs> to, is going to happen or not. He's at home, man. And everybody thinks the chiefs are going to win. It's just not, it's not how it's going to be dog. It's not how it's going to be. Um, All right. So Deanne, I don't know how versed you are of football, but I want to take you, you know? back to something else in your questionnaire here. This is always football, fascinates man. me. It, you, you're not just an accountant or you haven't always been just an accountant. Mm -hmm. uh, you had a, a second career or maybe not a career, but a, a, a passion around uh, <laughs> acting. So what, what was that like? Well, that was as a young girl, um, just loved watching Three's Company back in the day. Yeah. And John Ritter just was fantastic. And I thought, you know, that's what I want to do. That's what I, I want to be when I grow up. And I would tell my dad that. And, you know, I did a lot of theater and what have you. I never was really fantastic. I think in my head I was. Again, that goes back to what we think we know and what, what we actually oh, know. Totally. <laughs> so it was <laughs> nice to have a father that kind of, you know, guided me, which is their job, right? They're, they're our guide. And he guided me into, you know, how are you going to make a living on this acting mm -hmm. career? And and isn't accounting better than waiting tables? And might you go there and get that taken care of before you, you know, pursue the acting thing? So, you know, well, well redirected. Well, you've got yeah. the accounting. <laughs> so you've got the accounting thing figured out. So should we look for you in little small Denver plays now? Or I don't think so. I think I've kind of uh, bridged that gap a little bit more about the, you know, what what I thought I knew back then and what now I know. <laughs> so. Nice. Perhaps when I'm an old lady, you can look for me on the silver screen. 
Well, you, you got a long time for that. I can't believe you just said Three's Company. Somebody yesterday was saying that I talked to said Three's Company is their favorite show. I haven't heard that show even mentioned in a decade. So, so there we have it. Um, no, this was this was super fun. I uh, really appreciated you coming on, Dan. It's been great building a relationship with you. I think you've taught me a lot about. Uh, and introduced me to a lot of people in the oil and gas accounting world and, and vice versa. I think I've helped open up your mind to various technologies in the, mm-hmm. in the energy tech space. So I've, I've appreciated our symbiotic relationship and, and look forward to, you know, hitting some golf balls or, or doing whatever it is when we get back to these networking events. Absolutely. And I did have a quick question for you, Jeremy. You had, Last time <laughs> I talked to you, you said that you mainly only had males on this, on this uh, podcast. Yeah. So have you had any other females or am I the first? Oh yeah, no, oh, no, no. We have, uh, we have okay, good. Yeah, we, we, had <laughs> a good, right. we had a good run of them. A good run of them with the EAG ladies coming on a few. Uh, Sean Forbes episode, the princess of procurement, as we like to call her, came nice. on. Nice. I need to get uh, caught up. Yeah, with your podcast. Yeah, got, good, we got good. a bunch of of good stuff, and and I think next week is going to be really interesting. Um, it's it's a much different approach. Most of the people that come in here are super positive on the industry. And I think this guy is part of like an activist group that is very much a challenger and not so happy with some of the companies in the industry. So Sunshine. All right. <laughs> That'll be fun. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Deanna, you have a great weekend and uh, thanks everybody. Thanks.